This is Luke Legacy, and this is the Decide Podcast. We cover culture, subcultures, and the people that are in them that keep them moving forward and the decisions that they have to make to do so. Not only that, we're covering really dope topics, giving different perspectives, and inviting you to chime in. So contact us through email, decide, period, brand, one, the number one, at gmail.com. Subscribe, share, and follow us on IG at decide, period, brand. Let's get into the episode. Let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Decide Podcast. I am your host, Luke Legacy. And on the phone, we have two um, nurses, medical professionals that have been in the industry for a long time. And I won't give them uh, too much of an introduction. I'll let them introduce themselves. Can you please go ahead and introduce yourselves? Maybe, uh, Nancy, let's start with you. Okay, great. I am Nancy Kelly. I've been a nurse uh, for some time. I was a respiratory therapist before that. So I have about 32 years of experience in um, the healthcare field. I um, did ER. I also did ICU for a stint, not long. I did cardiac cath lab. That got to be a little tiresome. Um, and now I'm doing dialysis on a full-time basis. No weekends there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's, that's about my life in healthcare. I am a wife um, of 30-something years. I have one son that's 35. I have another son that's 29. And I have three beautiful granddaughters. So that's, that's about me. That's cool. That is amazing. That is amazing. Natasha? Hi, I'm Natasha. Um, I'm currently in New York working a COVID crisis. However, um, I'm a nurse of now 16 years. Um, Started off in the emergency department. And really, I've done emergency my whole career. Um, However, once I came to New York, the need was to go to the ICU. So that's where I've been for the last month. Um, I'm a Mother, uh, wife, I have five beautiful children, um, ranges from ages of 20 to my twins that are six. Wow. Wow. Well, it's good. Both mothers, both, uh, wives. This is a, this is a start to a great conversation. So with y'all being in the healthcare industry for such a long time and having different experiences over, you know, a wide variety of things that they're going in a hospital, you know, what are some of the things that you come up against as far as experiencing trauma in the hospital? I know you both said that you, you've been in emergency and ICU. Those are very intense units. Mm-hmm. What are some things yeah, that you might've come up against or uh, type of environment that is? You know, just the environment of not knowing. Um, You get to work, and some days you are uh, inundated with trauma, with intubation, with um, kidney disease, heart disease. And and then some days you're inundated with just colds. Simple. People just simply come to the ER and say, I want to see my doctor. 
Um, we quickly explain away that this is not the place for you to be. Right. So um, I think with this COVID uh, situation, people have uh, have learned that this is not the place you should be. So I do appreciate COVID for that. Yeah. But, you know, there there are so many things that you can see. In the cath lab, we were always worried about who's going to have a heart attack at what time. They usually always come at midnight yeah. um, when you were tired. But, you know, it, it's, a, it's a race for just not knowing what you're going to be coming up upon. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think um, a lot. I've done trauma I've been a trauma nurse, I mean, since the beginning, also of my career, but trauma in Chicago, trauma in Atlanta, to California, and now here. Um, But I think a lot of it is just when we think of trauma, we think of, you know, gunshot wounds and car accidents and things like that. But just the environment itself, we're dealing with also you know, just regular human beings and regular human action, you know, child abuse and other type of situations. So there's so much um, that we entail when it comes to the word trauma. So, you know. So with that being said, your mindset, I'm curious about your mindset and how you control and, you know, keep a level head amidst these things that are happening in traumatic situations because, you know, me personally, uh, I haven't been in too many traumatic situations, but the ones that I have been in, Nancy, uh, you can remember this when, uh, you know, one of your sons got in a motorcycle accident. I was right behind him. And Mm -hmm. that was pretty traumatic for me because I just didn't really know what to do. You know, it happened so fast. And so, I knew that I should keep a level head and not be too excited. And there was another traumatic situation where I felt like it was a bike accident when I was a kid. But for y'all, receiving that energy into the hospital, into y'all's world, what are some things that help you keep your mind stable? Hmm. Um, to be honest, I, I, it's, not everybody is, number one, built to be a nurse. And number two, not everybody is built to handle a certain level of trauma. And even with us, I mean, we still have some, I'm pretty sure there's a level of PTSD that we deal with um, without even knowing that we're dealing with it. Um, But for me, level-headedness, it just comes. That's what I do. Um, I perform best. I feel under those taxing situations, you know, once that comes, it's almost like, I don't know if you do sports. I know I talk to my son who's 13, he plays basketball and I'll ask him out there. I'm like, are you nervous when you're out there and everybody's screaming and yelling at you to go this way and that way? And he's like, no, I don't even think about it. And I feel like that's Hmm. what nursing is for me. It's just instinctual. If I see something going on, then my instinct kicks in. I've, I've done it so long. There's an A, B, C, D that we've learned that we just automatically right. kick in and we're ready to go. Um, so, Nancy, what about yourself? What is, how, what is your mindset? What's your thought process? Is it second nature to you? Well, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll explain it like this. Nursing is a whole different language 
So, like Natasha was saying, everybody's not built for for being a nurse. So, once you learn the language and you take it in, you're built for that. Some people never get it. They never get that language. And, um, you know, in order to be an ER nurse, you just have to get it. You have to get it. If not, you'll fail. We've seen, we've seen many nurses fail when they come into a situation that they just cannot handle. Some nurses simply cannot even uh, handle blood. Mm-hmm. But once you get over your fear of, again, the unknown, you can be a great nurse. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just no, it, it's nothing like being a, a healthcare provider because you give people what they need, not just what they want, what they need. Exactly. And you know, you know what? Okay. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. So, I appreciate both of y'all's perspective and, and your answers. And the reason why is because going into a hospital or going to a doctor, especially when you need one or are in need of one, there is a tremendous level of comfort. And that's why I asked y'all's mindset. Because going in, in my experience or my father's experience, he has, he's had a life of sickness. I can't imagine how it would feel if I didn't feel comfortable with the people, the, the medical professionals that were around me. Mm-hmm. You rely heavily on their energy mm-hmm. because you're looking for the answer. You're looking for hope. Like that hope was not at your house. It was not your spouse giving it to you. It was not your uncle, your, your kids, nobody else. But you go to the hospital, it's almost like an extended family that you don't know, mm-hmm. but you trust them to get you through this situation. Mm-hmm. So I applaud y'all being able to turn that switch on and off or just keep it on majority of time because, uh, you know, that lifestyle is something that is really, really being championed, respected, and recognized even more in 2020 with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask y'all, with COVID-19 happening, let's take it back to the buildup where it was in the news and before it really touched down and affected us, what were things that y'all were getting in the medical industry that maybe we didn't get? Oh my, it was so many things because it, it again, they didn't know either. So we were just going by whatever the CDC told us, and that's what we were doing. We implemented things so fast, so, I mean, it was every day something different. Mm -hmm. Once they implemented the mask, that was the most, um, I want to say, I'm just going to use the word grueling, and it still is, Mm -hmm. because we were not used to wearing masks the whole shift, uh, if, if I'm sure Tasha can attest to that, we would wear a mask in a room uh, if we thought it was infectious disease, but you didn't wear a mask into a patient's room. Our um, PPE of choice were gloves, um, maybe a gown, but for, for most of the people, you didn't do that. In the dialysis unit, we definitely didn't do it. But now we have to wear masks 24 hours a day when we're in these units. And it, it's, it's grueling. But everything changes from bleaching your unit 
to uh, having the patients wear masks now, having uh, the temperature checks, which I don't know. You know, I know the CDC say temperature checks. I really don't think that that's um, one of the major uh, telltale signs. We did have a COVID positive patient that never had a fever, never had a cough. We only tested him because he came from a nursing home. So in my in my uh, sense of, you know, uh, I don't know how to how to put it in words, but I just think more people are COVID positive than we think. Wow. Well, Natasha, can you give me some background on how you got to where you are right now with um, COVID-19 and being on the front line, not just on the front line, but I feel like on the front line in the biggest city with it. Okay. So this is pretty interesting. Um, I'm right now. I, I'm not, I used to nurse in Atlanta and I moved to New Mexico um, New Mexico at the time um, really had one of the lowest, lowest cases recorded. Um, I'm in southern New Mexico, and I know a lot of people are getting information about northern New Mexico, where most of the um, Indian reservations are, which are being hit really hard right now. But at the time, they weren't being hit. So you're almost sitting, you're like a sitting duck. A lot of patients had stopped coming into the emergency room. Um, we were preparing for the worst, but really we weren't seeing anything. My girlfriend uh, went to New Jersey um, as a nurse for a COVID crisis. And, you know, you kind of check the temperature. You're, you're nervous. You kind of put out fillers and ask, you know, how is it out there? And you get millions of texts. Hey, we need crisis. We need crisis. Are you available? And and as a nurse, and I've done a lot of travel nursing, you just kind of sitting there like, oh, should I go? Should I not go? And then once you kind of get a, a okay look from your spouse, for me, I'm gone. <laughs> it just happens that quickly. If I look at my husband and he looks at me and we get that like, uh, yeah, you're good to go. That's all I need. I don't need to ask anybody else what they think. So. He was pretty okay with it, and that's how I made it to New York. Now, the interesting part that I didn't know I was signing up for was, at the time, we didn't know that Brooklyn was the most hit. Uh, We knew New York was Mm. the biggest hit, but I didn't know that Brooklyn was the most hit. Well, Brooklyn has the highest new cases. They had the highest cases overall of any um, county, really, um, all over the nation. And I also um, am mm. at the county hospital. So now I'm at the epicenter of the epicenter, and I had no idea that that's where I would be going. <laughs> so that's wow. yeah, so that's a little mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, we still have the highest cases in the nation, really. So, yeah. Wow. Now, what does that look like inside of the hospital in, in New York City? <laughs> during during COVID. I've seen pictures, videos, I've seen doctors sharing how they feel about certain things that are going on. Some have seemed fed up, some have seemed, you know, really calm. What is what is the 
What's what's the hospital culture like? Um, so I I want my biggest thing is that that I wanted to say is that if you've ever seen any movie regarding any pandemic or any big disease zombie stuff that you know that kind of apocalyptic type movie that um they talk about then just imagine that um maybe not on a extreme level of that but as close to it as you can um when i arrived i was i came a month uh i got here the last week of april so cases were still it was at its peak but not like uh, when my girlfriend got there. So, but when I got there, every single room was full in the ICU. Um, the emergency department mm. was completely full. The hallways were completely full. Um, you could feel the thickness in the air, almost to the to where you just wanted mm. to take very short breaths because it was that intense of an environment. Um, there were patients, um, you know, in the hallway. I'm not sure if you you know the difference between nasal cannulas, non-rebreathers, things like that. But they were wearing facial masks to breathe, which is a non-rebreathers. Um, because, you know, by that time, they were aware that intubations um, needed to be avoided at all costs. And a lot of... I, there's so many videos mm-hmm. that float around about it, but you have to understand when you're dealing with a completely new virus and an influx, people didn't have an understanding of what they were doing. So you go with what you think you're supposed to do. You don't know that you're not supposed to be intubating this, these patients. You All you see are a bunch of patients that are coming into your department, crashing, who can't breathe and are dying, and you are in a, and you are forced to save these people. So when people are yelling, when people are making these yeah. videos saying that they don't want to treat it, it's not that you don't want to treat it, but your life is also precious to you, and you have to go home to your family. So you don't know if you're going to live or die. You don't know if I want to enter this room or not mm-hmm. enter this room, especially if you're not protected. So I think a lot of it that. A lot of things Mm -hmm. happened early on that people didn't understand, and it wasn't based on they wanted these patients to die. They just had no idea what they were dealing with. Right, right, exactly. Nancy, you Mm -hmm. being here in Atlanta still, you said you are working with dialysis patients right now? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is that, you know, Looking or trying to figure out what the underlying circumstances are, I, I feel like they kept getting broader and broader, meaning the underlying circumstances that might make COVID-19 detrimental to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. being in a dialysis, dialysis unit, I can't help but think my father, he did dialysis for, I don't know, the majority of my, my childhood. And, mm-hmm. you know... If he did get sick, there was no pandemics at the time, but if he did get sick, you know, that could affect him. Was dialysis something mm-hmm. that was known to be, you know, uh, uh, a symptom or underlying effect 
that could uh oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, the CDC, again, have given us the, um, the interpretation that as, as even high blood pressure, high cholesterol can be a detriment with this disease. Mm-hmm. Now, we do know that 96% of people survive this disease. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're mostly seeing from the media the worst case scenarios. Um, and we're and Natasha is seeing it from a point of, you know, firsthand view. I'm not seeing it that way. Mm-hmm. I see the people that are the 96 percent. Mm-hmm. And again, I do feel like it's more people than that, just based on the fact that you have these people who have no symptoms, but they test positive. That's why it's so important for each and everybody to get tested if they can. Right. Um, and then, then the the, uh, the government can figure out or the CDC can figure out, hey, are we just dealing with something as, as like the chickenpox? Right. Although the chickenpox didn't kill people the same way it can with COVID, um, we still need to know what 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 um, degree we should take take this disease. Um, you know, in our as they say, the new norm. I do hate that that phrase, but it's the truth. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and when you think about it, this this particular patient that I was speaking about, he's in a bed, bed bound, uh, sicker than sick, have to do dialysis three times a week, and he survived. He survived. Mm. When you look at, he had a stroke. Mm. When you look at his symptoms and his underlying disease process, you would have thought he's gonna die, and th- and that's what we said when he left our clinic. He's gonna die, mm. but but guess what? He looks better than <laughs> ever. Wow, wow. He was treated. He was um, isolated from other patients. They have a COVID clinic that they send all the COVID positive patients to. And so far, not one have died. Not one. That's amazing. So, so you know, it just tells you how we've come a long way with knowing how to, um, how to treat these patients, to, to instill to them that they, they don't have to die. Right. You know, do what we tell you to do. Keep yourself isolated. Keep yourself, you know, do the social distancing. Wear your mask if, if at all costs when you're around people who you don't know. You don't have to die. Well, that's good, and that's encouraging. And I was going to ask this. Well, I'm going to ask this question. What the lack of information, or let me not say the lack of information, the ever-evolving information during the crisis, how did that affect y'all day to day? Um, especially Natasha being in such a, you know, the way you describe that was that it gave me chills saying that you think of a pandemic movie in the mm-hmm. hospital, like it's pretty similar to that, <laughs> you know, because the social media can paint pictures in a lot of different ways. And, you know, we can hear things on the news, but to hear it directly from someone who is in it is like, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's bone chilling. It's, it's pretty scary because it's like, yo, that's chaos. Mm-hmm. So with the ever-evolving information, how do you how do you deal um, with that? 
I think that the best the best way I can see is because I saw it from both angles. Being back home in New Mexico um, at the time when we weren't seeing it, but everyone would come in worried about it, cough, fever, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. And at the time, we were so worried because we had the supplies, but, you know, the hospitals at the time were kind of, I don't want to use the word hoarding, but they were withholding them because they didn't know if we were going to get hit big and they just didn't want to see all of the supplies out at once so we would only get one mask here at a time or and you know we come from a culture to where if we had a tuberculosis patient in which we normally wear those n95 masks for that we are told to discard them before we leave the room with each patient interaction. Mm -hmm. So for us, knowing that we have one mask for our whole day or for our whole week or whatever everybody's hospital were telling them, it it made us extremely nervous um, that you're constantly changing. And then even it went even further to you don't need a mask unless you are doing an aerosolized procedure, meaning whether you're intubating this patient, whether you are um, giving a patient a breathing treatment. However, anybody with common sense knows that when someone is speaking loudly or coughing, that's considered aerosolized, meaning Mm -hmm. that their saliva has now entered the air in a forceful type manner. Mm -hmm. So we as nurses knew that. So we already knew that the underlying talk that we were receiving was not completely accurate and that we weren't safe. So when I entered the New York space, it was a different culture because they already knew the severity. They knew that every single person Mm. that they were treating at the time were COVID positive only because Mm -hmm. it was already at a different scale. Everybody had started to Mm. have difficulty breathing and have this um, pulmonary Mm. edema and this acute respiratory um, distress, all of that stuff had already sunk into them. So it wasn't optional to wear a mask. We knew mask, gown, glove. If we could find an astronaut suit, we were willing to get in. You know what I mean? Because because literally and, and seriously, and this was the this was the most scariest moment I'd ever had. And this was my first day. I was, I didn't, we didn't know where our unit was. So we're walking to our unit. As I opened the door to my unit, a nurse is being wheeled out, difficulty breathing, sitting Mm -hmm. forward in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And at that Mm -hmm. moment, it was fight or flight. I I asked myself, am I running back down these stairs or this elevator? Or I'm not going to stay. And so once I finally got over that real horrible fear, I was like, okay, I could do this. But yeah, mm-hmm. we knew in New York, like we, we don't plan on playing around at all because we saw it. Yeah. Wow. 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 And, see, and, and I don't, I didn't see it that way. You know, I'm not on that end of the front line. Although, um, you know, they still said we're on the front line because we have to come. We have no choice but to come and take care of these patients. But, uh, but you know, I knew Natasha must have seen something that us, you know, just us, and even in Georgia, we just didn't see that. 
you know, you think about they set up a um, a hospital at the World Congress Center. Mm-hmm. Not one patient went there. Right. So, you know, we we definitely didn't see what I'm sure Natasha has been seeing. Right. Right. Well, I mean, both of y'all's experiences have been really interesting to hear. And like, I'm very I'm really, really enjoying hearing the stories and the perspectives. And I just want to know this. Let's talk about masks, because you know, Natasha, you talked about the N95 mask, and I didn't even know that they were like that disposable, I guess, you know, which is, you know, very ignorant of me as civilian, but, you know, also pretty common, like throwing it away after leaving one patient's mm-hmm. room that has an infectious disease mm-hmm. before COVID comes along. But then you take it to a step further and it's like, you're dealing with a whole floor of, of, mm-hmm. of COVID patients and, you know, and you don't have, you don't have the protective material to protect yourself. So mm-hmm. being in the hospital, translating to outside, like in the outside world, the, the mm-hmm. mass situation right now, like there's people with not in 95 masks. I think that the world is caught up with the mm-hmm. mass situation. Some masks seem to, you know, be medical grade and some aren't. Some people that are making masks are just merely, you know, they're fashion masks and mm-hmm. literally don't block anything but maybe carpet particles, right. which are mm-hmm. like pretty big. <laughs> you know, you probably see that right. with your, your, naked, your naked eye in a dusty building. And then you have some companies that are taking the time to figure out what the proper filtration is for a mask. I know I came across a company and uh, they highlighted, they said that their mask is a MERV 13. And so then I looked at the MERV chart and basically the MERV chart tells you what these, what grade of mask propels, you know, like this mask with this type of material propels this, it's this grade level. So I want to ask y'all, as medical professionals, what are your thoughts on masks and the public wearing them. And, 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 and do you feel, especially, you know, Nancy, you being here in Atlanta and Natasha, you being there in New York where the cases are way worse, are people using them correctly? Does it make sense? Is this a band-aid for people to feel more comfortable Ooh, to be in public? you really want my real complete mm-hmm. answer. So, <laughs> okay. I really do. So... <laughs> The, the real problem with COVID-19 is COVID-19 is a novel virus, meaning we haven't seen it before. So we have no pre-built-in immunity for it, right? Um, the flu has been around forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you could get the flu. You might not get it as bad as you got it last year, or you just might, you know, and especially if you're, you're at, in the healthcare environment in general, you might get a sniff and you you have the flu, but don't realize that you have it because you're that immune to it. We don't have any immunity to this. Mm -hmm. So now that Corona has been in our environment for a while, some of us probably have a built up immunity Mm -hmm. that we don't even know that we have, which are those people that you see who were COVID positive, those celebrities that might have been tested COVID positive, who had access to the test. Not saying, because a lot of people's complaint was they had 
the virus and they weren't getting sick. Well, we probably had the virus right. and weren't getting sick. We just didn't know it. Um, now, people who, for some reason right. or the other, who went into complete respiratory distress from it, those were the people that, of course, we obviously knew it. So I guess what I'm trying to say about the mask is right. you can wear a mask. However, it doesn't necessarily prevent you from getting this. It does not necessarily um, make you not give it to somebody else based on whichever kind you're wearing. Um, I think the research mm -hmm. has only shown us that if you are in closed in um, circulating like environments like subways, elevators, you're in small rooms mm -hmm. with large amount of people, that is what's letting us know that you are going to get a high, higher concentration or what they're calling viral load of this virus, which is going to make you more mm -hmm. susceptible to mm -hmm. getting sicker, which is why it hit New York so bad because imagine these people shoved on subways mm -hmm. and then shoved in the elevator mm -hmm. and now they're shoved in the office building together working that close, you know what I mean? Close environment. So people, cities yeah. like the city I was living in, um, Las Cruces or Georgia, where people don't necessarily survive off of public transportation, they weren't locked in with each other. That You know what I mean? So that may have been why they were less. But masks are a Band-Aid. It's comfort. Um, it does allow you from not spitting on people, <laughs> you know, because because when we when we talk, you know, somebody <laughs> does leave our mouth. So yes, it, it's some sort of protection, but mm -hmm. you know, the only protection really is your your immune system. That's your protection. Right, exactly. And and you know. I, I tend to see people wearing masks. It's uh, their noses are exposed. Well, what's the point? Um, mm -hmm. They're wearing them in the car. Who you who you keeping yourself from? Um, you know, in the car by themselves. It it it, 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 it can become comical. Yeah, your face is over there sweating. And, and here's. Here is the education I got, a quick education on masks that I had never knew before. First off, N95s and P100 masks, those gas masks, I have one of those. N95 masks were created for asbestos, for people who are in environments in which, mm -hmm. you know, they're inhaling that, like demo demolishing buildings and things like that. Well, healthcare learned that that mm -hmm. that web that's that um, those fibers are woven so tight that even microns can't get through it. Those are the size of what that asbestos stuff is. They're small, so that's how healthcare started mm -hmm. using it. So it's not really the mask itself; um, it's the seal around that N95 mask that protects you because if that seal is broken, then you're also breathing in that the particles. 
So yes. the problem with yes. having a regular yes. mask on is there is no seal. So things can escape and come in. And then you're also, mm -hmm. you don't even have those tightly woven um, threads that are going to protect you. So there's some level of protection, but it's really nothing that you need. I mean, in a healthcare environment. Now on the outside, I mean, you can say it could help, but for me, like I said, it is only proven to me that your immune system and some people have compromised immune systems and some of us have champion immune systems. You know? <laughs> and there's exactly. and some people, it's a luck of the well, draw or the, your genetic makeup or all of those things. And, and exact, that's why they're saying that a lot of it is based on your health your um, health history because that affects your immune system as well. Right, right. Uh, Nancy, do you have any more thoughts on the mask? I, I'm ready for them to go away out in the general public. <laughs> I really am. Uh, I, I, I'm ready for them to even go away in in the general uh, area that we work in as nurses, because we're not we're not sitting in front of people's faces at all times. Um, I do think that when you're inside of a patient's room, the door is closed or the uh, the curtain is closed. Absolutely, I'm like Natasha. It gives some measure of protection, but at the nurses station. I just I just don't see where it gives you any protection. Right. If we, if you're not talking to someone uh, ten inches away, then it does not give any measure of protection. I don't work for the CDC. Um, I agree with a lot of things that they're saying, but I don't agree that you know it's usually the people who make the rules right. are not the people who have to live in them. So those people have not used those masks eight to 12 hours a day right. and, and feel comfortable doing it. They, they haven't. Hmm. Well, and I'm going I'm, I'm to just say this just to piggyback off both of y'all. Um, even with the general public, think about the, the stores that we're in. A lot of life is pretty much back to normal in Atlanta and other places as well. But, you know, as a medical professional, y'all have that second nature, like we talked about before, that second instinct. But when you look around with, with people in the public, you know, people are pulling their masks down because it's too hot or they're pulling mm -hmm. their mask down because it it's their face. Uh, they pull their mask down because they're sneezing or coughing, which I've been in that situation before, too. Where I'm like, man, I'm caught. <laughs> this mask is going to make me look like I'm look like I'm sick to other people. Um, mm -hmm. So. I appreciate y'all's perspective on that. And, you know, I just want to thank y'all, you know, for this conversation. And Hey, hey, Troy, Troy, can I give one more, one more instance? And, and I don't do. know if Nat Natasha might <clears throat> agree or disagree with this. But, you know, when, when you keep your, your mouth and your nose covered, we're breathing in a certain amount of CO2. I found myself getting dizzy. Mm. from these masks mm -hmm. all day long. So, um, so you know, we have to really see that maybe in a year or two, 
we're going to find that people now are going to need uh, pulmonary care because of wearing these masks all day like this. So that's just my, my end point to yes, this discussion the, about masks. I had to move to the P100, which is the gas mask, um, just based on the fact that I couldn't okay. tolerate wearing the N95 mask. Because the N95 mask, it doesn't, there's, no, there's no vent. So, or no valve to it. So at least with the P100, the, the big mask, um, there's a, a one-way valve. So it allows you to blow out your hot air and through your filter, you bring in cool air. And so that exchange makes, like, you know, because wearing a, a mask for 12 hours in that environment, you're dizzy, you're nauseated, you're irritated. You, it's, it's hard to mm-hmm. I can't imagine like, and mm-hmm. I still have co-workers that still wear theirs um, and they wear a surgical mask on top of that and people don't understand that that N95 mask only allows you to bring in what 65% oxygen um, so now you put a mask on the mm-hmm. outside of that mask mm-hmm. so just imagine how little oxygen you're really getting mm-hmm. into your lungs yeah Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Well, before things wrap up, y'all, I just want to say this. Thank y'all both for being nurses. And, you know, this year, I think more than any other year, uh, depending on who you are, people are recognizing uh, nurses and people in medical industry and profession as heroes. I just want to encourage everyone to keep that same energy it's too often that we forget about what we kept high energy about and what we were so thankful for when we actually need it um which are people on the front line and the majority of a lot of those people are are medical professionals so i want to encourage people to keep that same energy be thankful for nurses and doctors not just right now but on into the future and um you know hopefully this will clear up and we will gain more clarity about what we've actually been dealing with with COVID-19. But I appreciate your perspective, Natasha, and your time and your energy into this phone call. And Nancy, once again, I appreciate you facilitating everything. And um, also, side note, being there to consult with me and my girlfriend uh, as I had COVID-19 and I needed uh, direction and guidance. Amidst all of this craziness, so You're thank you, thank you. You are so very, welcome, very much. Emma. On my You're last so, so welcome. Point, like I said, just make uh, sure that the time uh-huh. to get your immunity up and keep your immune system good is not when you get to the hospital. It's now. So continue vitamins. Continue eating now. right. Continue to treat your body with lots of water yes. that you know you need. <laughs> On a regular basis before COVID-19, guys. Yeah. Yes. Can, can we say that yes. all together? Now. Now. Take care of your body now. <laughs> yes. yes. Love yourself. Yes. Yes. <laughs> all right, y'all. Well, uh, I'll be in contact with y'all soon. Thanks once again. Uh, bye. 
Thanks for listening in. And once again, I am your host, Luke Legacy. Don't forget to share, subscribe, and follow us on IG at Decide Period Brand. And if you want to chime in on the conversation, our email is decide period brand number one at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in.